Welcome to the Go Find Out Podcast. I'm Jennifer Jelliff Russell, author, speaker, and entrepreneur, bringing you actionable ideas and interviews with awesome women to help you pursue your dreams and achieve your goals. You can find more episodes of the Go Find Out Podcast by visiting gofindoutpodcast.com. Enjoy the show and go find out. Welcome to the Go Find Out Podcast, episode number 22. I'm your host, Jennifer Jelliff Russell. On today's show, I'll be interviewing Sarah Duchovny about starting her business, Songbird Sarah Antique Jewelry, for which she sources antique diamonds and estate fine jewelry while traveling as an opera singer. On my personal update, I'll talk about stepping outside my comfort zone to make YouTube videos and going on to other podcasts as a guest. All right, let's get to the personal update. Hello, listeners. So a big part of the Go Find Out ethos requires you to step outside your comfort zone to achieve growth, right? This is definitely something that I have personally been working on lately, especially when it comes to making videos of myself for my other brand, Evergrowth Coach. Like most other people, I don't love seeing myself on camera. I'm also not a makeup kind of gal, and I absolutely, I definitely outsourced having my makeup professionally done by the amazing Helena Martinez when I had a photo shoot for Evergrowth Coach for creating photos for the website. But I, I can't really pay someone to come and do my makeup every single time that I'm going to do a YouTube video. So I've just been kind of putting off making the videos with that excuse, right? I've just been using that excuse to put off doing the videos. So finally, I overeat up and I threw on some makeup and made a video yesterday. And it, it did take a while. And I, I definitely constantly had to continue drinking water when my mouth went dry from nerves. Um, but I did it, right? Yay. Um, so another thing that I'm also doing to step outside my comfort zone is I actually I did an interview yesterday with Yolanda Russell for her Accelerate Your Brand and Breakthrough podcast. And if you'll remember, Yolanda was the guest on the last podcast before this one, so episode number 21, and she asked me to come on her podcast, which is very exciting. So I I don't know why I was so nervous about being a guest on somebody else's podcast. I mean, I've done it before. I, I went on the Unqualified Life Coaches podcast, which was also a really fun podcast to check out, guys. But I think that my nerves have something to do with like not wanting to make a mistake or sound stupid, right? But come on, like I sound silly and stupid on this podcast all the time, right? So I'm, I'm definitely working on stepping outside my personal comfort zone and kind of jumping into the unknown a little bit more. And part of that involves being okay with my appearance on video, maybe not being perfect, um, definitely not being perfect. <laughs> um, I'm, by the way, cutting my own hair right now during COVID um, just because I, I don't really want to go to the salon. So that that definitely makes for an interesting appearance, listeners. <laughs> um, so so part of that stepping outside my comfort zone does, like I said, it does have to do with being comfortable with my appearance, being willing to make mistakes on somebody else's podcast. And it's just a, a lot of discomfort with that. Like I, I really, I'm kind of a little bit of a perfectionist. I really don't like making mistakes. But I have definitely found that whenever I have been willing to step outside my comfort zone in the past, that that was when I achieved the most personal and professional growth. What about you listeners? Are you putting off getting outside your own comfort zone like I did? Or are you already taking steps to achieve more growth? As Brene Brown has said, you can choose courage or you can choose comfort, but you cannot have both. So, hey, maybe I'll step outside my comfort zone and invite Brene Brown to be on this show someday. <laughs> we'll see. Um, 
Okay, on to the interview with jewelry curator and opera singer Sarah Duchovny. On today's show, I'll be interviewing Sarah Duchovny, who is an opera singer and, more recently, an estate jewelry curator. For her company Songbird Sarah Antique Jewelry, Sarah sources antique diamonds and estate fine jewelry while traveling for her opera career. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm super stoked to have you on. Can you tell me a little bit more about yourself? Yes. I have always been obsessed with old things, antiques, uh, things that sparkle, things that are beautiful. And um, especially as an opera singer, that education about art of the past has always been really important to me and really exciting. And, you know, also as a freelance musician, I have always been interested in entrepreneurship and having other streams of income, exercising different parts of my brain and having that um, that business side of things as well as the artistic side. So about two years ago, I started Songbird Sarah Jewelry. I got like seven pieces that I curated and I was like, okay, if these seven pieces sell, then I will use the money to invest in more and like start this business. And if not, I'll just have seven beautiful pieces of jewelry to add to my own collection. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, I have nothing to lose here. And they sold. And so I just kept going. So it's been a really interesting journey. And especially now with the pandemic, this has really given me the opportunity to like pour all of my pent up creative energy into something mm. because we're not we're not performing these days. So it's been a very, very cool journey for me. So you already liked antique jewelry yourself. What was what was kind of the catalyst that got you really thinking about starting a company as an estate jewelry curator? I have had a few um, like resale businesses in the past. Mm -hmm. So I had an eBay business where I was selling like designer clothing. Then I partnered up with another opera singer and we had this awesome business where we sold gowns and performance jewelry oh, wow. and audition dresses to our colleagues. Nice. Um, and that was really cool. And through all of that, I learned that I have a talent for finding things and, and curating and, and knowing kind of what people are looking for and what will speak to their hearts. And I also learned that I really enjoy that type of business. So I have been researching antique jewelry for like 15 years now, pretty obsessively. And it was always that kind of thing where like, I didn't have the money to buy it personally say, but I would always shop for it. And I was on like millions of forums. I am certified through the GIA. It was just all of this research that I wasn't doing anything with because I was a little bit scared to get into a business with such high overhead. Mm. So you know, if a dress doesn't sell, you're out, you know, tens of dollars. But if a piece of jewelry doesn't sell, you could be out thousands of dollars. Yeah. So, <laughs> but then I think when I ended, the last business with the with the opera dresses, I kind of realized that when businesses quote unquote fail, that's not the worst thing. It's just mm. a learning experience. Mm -hmm. So I think that the failure of that 
of that last business gave me the confidence to like just try again and maybe fail again. So I think that was like a really great learning opportunity if like failing isn't the worst thing that can happen. Like just try and see what happens. Maybe you fail, maybe you don't. Right. What made you realize that that last business wasn't working? Like when was that moment of, okay, I need to pivot away from this because this is not happening? Oh, that's a great question. So it was a brilliant idea that grew far too fast for our infrastructure to handle. Mm. So what it was essentially was um, a peer-to-peer marketplace like Etsy or eBay or Poshmark where we were the platform and all of our customers were buyers and or sellers. I see. So, you know, just like Poshmark. But all of those companies that I mentioned before have like, you know, millions of dollars in venture capital money and like a whole team of web designers and (laughs) tech people who are making it happen. So we built this platform on a budget and it was called upon to do some really, really like complicated and sophisticated things. And it grew really fast. And then it grew so fast that it, the whole system crashed because we had too many people using it and too much information being stored on our rinky dink server. So we just had to make that call where our developers were like, if you want to rebuild the website correctly, like you're looking at fifty dollars to $100,000. Oh my. <laughs> you know, probably time to like get investors and like, you know, make this a thing. And I realized that that wasn't what I wanted my life to be for many reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. One of which was that the business wasn't profitable. So my partner and I both had our own shops on the platform, but we weren't making money by running the platform. And it was all encompassing. It just took so much time and so much effort. And, you know, the returns just weren't there for us. So I think, you know, it could have been something kind of amazing if we had gotten the venture capital money. But actually now I'm so glad that we didn't do that because so much of our business was like selling gowns to colleagues for huge performances and all of those performances are canceled. Oh yeah. It was really <laughs> good point. <laughs> it was really, really lucky that um that it quote unquote failed when it did. I wonder too, like with Songbird Sarah, it sounds like even though you do have an online platform, it sounds like with Songbird Sarah, you are handpicking these pieces of jewelry to put on your website and to sell to others. And it sounds like that's a little bit more high touch really yes. with not only the piece, but also potentially with the customer because it allows you to have that more one-on-one relationship as opposed to just having sellers and buyers on a platform. Yes, it's incredibly high touch. And I think there was kind of like a bit of a learning curve for me when I first started the business because I was thinking from like a merchandising standpoint, what is my competition selling? What do I see doing really well out there in the online vintage jewelry sphere? And I tried to be like everything to everyone. And then I realized the only things that are really selling are the things that I would buy for myself, the things that are Mm. like so uniquely my style, because essentially people are buying your taste. They're paying for your taste. Mm-hmm. So I pivoted in a way and was like, this is really personal. This is, you know, the things that I choose might not be for everyone, but for the people who are here for me, I have to be really authentic to the things that 
I absolutely love. So, I mean, it's not only high touch, it's deeply, deeply personal because everything mm. that I'm sourcing is something that just speaks to my soul on such a deep level. And I have to say, I have checked out the jewelry on her site, um, Songbird Sarah, and I don't tend to be a jewelry person, but oh my gosh, like, I, I was like, ooh, look at that. That's really fun and unique. Like when I think antique jewelry, again, as someone who doesn't you know, wear a lot of jewelry, I think like big gaudy kind of things. And that's not these pieces at all. There's some really, really awesome pieces on there, guys. So definitely, if you have a chance, check them out. But you know, be careful because you'll want to buy stuff. So just be, be aware of that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. It's really interesting because I think a lot of people do have preconceived notions about what antique jewelry is or like costume jewelry. Yes, exactly, exactly. And and I don't do costume jewelry. All of these are gold, platinum, diamonds, precious gemstones. But also I think that some people think of just one era. So, you know, mm. maybe they're thinking of like the 50s, but I'm taught like I have everything, you know, from like 1860 through the present. So there, there's an era for everyone. And then you also have brooches. Yeah, brooches. Yeah. yeah. Which I was like, oh my gosh, we need to bring back brooches. Those are amazing. Um, yeah. so. There's actually a hashtag on Instagram called bring back the brooch. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I have to follow that. Yeah. But uh, I'm getting off topic. So we'll, we'll pull it back. Um, <laughs> I have to also tell you, so, so when I think of like jewelry curators, I immediately picture like old white men with one of those like monocle looking things that jewelers um, use, what is it, a loop, yeah. right? Stuck in their eye. <laughs> so as a woman getting into the industry, did you like get any pushback from the other curators out there? No. Um, and actually, like I know what you're thinking of. And I did find that like on the manufacturing side of it, it was predominantly male. But on the curation side, it's there are a lot of women, a lot of women of all ages, you know, like a lot of the archivists for like Tiffany's and, and Christie's and, you know, are, are female. But I didn't find pushback. Um, I did find that like, you know, when I'm sourcing, when I am, you know, getting things repaired or modified and I'm, I'm dealing with bench jewelers, most of those people are men. But the fact that I am a young woman has worked in my favor <laughs> in those situations. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, if, and I'm a very bubbly, friendly person. I think that the performance aspect of that really comes in handy too. You know, if you're like in a basement in the Diamond District fixing jewelry all day and then like this ray of sunshine comes in, it's like, hey, <laughs> You know, like, right. You're going to remember that that's going to like brighten your day. And so not, not that that's like just a predominantly female thing, but I think that, um, you know, being young woman opera singer in that sphere has made me very memorable. Mm, yes. I'm sure they're like, oh, that's the opera singer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. She's coming on this day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have been known, um, you know, to sing for discounts. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. You know, I say like, oh, you're an opera singer. Will you sing something? I'm like, not for free. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so everyone wins. <laughs> So now we've talked that you have started businesses before. What would you say has been your biggest challenge in starting this business? Um, the money is terrifying. Oh, yeah. I think that was the biggest thing. Um, just building a collection from the start mm -hmm. was like 
it was so scary. I mean, I, I, I don't know that people um, like really think about buying inventory and like the overhead, but you know, when I, when I price a piece, when you see a piece on my site, you know, it's not, I'm not getting all of that money. I've already purchased the piece. So, you know, there's a profit on that, but right. if something is very valuable, I've put out a lot of money up front and it could take, you know, six months to sell. Oh, it my. could take a year to sell. And then you have to have enough inventory on there so that you have a selection of things for people to shop for. So I think that was really terrifying getting started and just having faith in myself and my business sense and my ability to choose things that, you know, okay, this will sell it. Things are scary right now. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm like, I, I'm spending all of my money on jewelry that may or may not sell. Mm -hmm. um, so that was very scary. And, and now I'm seeing that it is paying off, but yeah, it was a really, it was a big risk to take. When you were kind of in the place of, oh my gosh, I don't know if I should do this or not. This is a lot to invest in this business. Was there any one thing that like pushed you over to the yes, let's do this side? Yeah. I mean, I definitely cried a lot. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would say, you know, I, I swing in, in like vastly different directions between being like, I can do anything. And then like <laughs> the next day being like, this was a terrible idea. <laughs> Um, you know, it's kind of like my singing career too. I have gravitated toward things that are challenging, have mm -hmm. a lot of rejection, um, are either like really, really amazing on top of the world, adrenaline rush, and then like really scary rejection, nothing's happening in my life, lows. And I think it's just sheer stubbornness that has kept me in both of them. Like, you know, with singing too, so much of our job as an opera singer is auditioning. So it's really just like a small amount of time in the big sense of things that we're on stage. A lot of that time is like going to auditions and never hearing back and, you know, practicing alone in a room, you know. So I can't imagine a life without either of those things, without the jewelry or without the opera. So that's what keeps me in it. That I'm like, well, this is really, really rough right now. But what's the alternative? Not doing it? That's, that's not an option for me. Like, this is what I love. So yeah, I think in a nutshell, I'm like obsessed with these things and I can't <laughs> imagine a life without them. And can you actually, can you tell us a little bit about your process for curating pieces? Yeah. So because I get to travel or, you know, did get to travel so much um, <laughs> as as an opera singer and my, my husband is an opera singer as well. So, you know, that's that's double the travel when I go with him. I'm, you know, finding myself in totally different places in the world. Mm. So I am looking wherever I go. If there's, you know, if I'm driving along the highway and I see one of those like antique malls, mm -hmm. I'm going to pull over. I'm going to really? get in there. I'm going to see what's there. Sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes you find something great. So I am always on the lookout. I bring my loop with me. I think that's a major thing. Oftentimes those, uh, you know, those places are, are dimly lit. So I have a loop that has a little light on it so that mm -hmm. I can always see, even if the lighting in the store is bad, I can always see exactly what I'm looking at. And mm -hmm. I learned that the hard way because sometimes something looks great in a store. Right. 
you like even with your loop and then you take it out into the light and there's like a chip or some kind of you know damage so yeah I always use my my lighted loop and I ask a lot of questions and you know I've been doing it for long enough now that I know what I'm looking for so oftentimes with antiques something isn't um, stamped or marked maybe like the hallmark that you know signified it as 14k or 18k has been removed with sizing or has Mm. rubbed off over time in many of those places you know you are taking a risk because you're not buying from from a jewelry store you're you know you're in the trenches you're in the basement somewhere like you know (laughs) like looking for treasure um and you may find something that the seller doesn't really know they have Mm. I've been doing it for long enough that I just kind of know but then of course once I buy it I test it you know using acid to test the metal I have diamond testers I have an appraiser gemologist who Hmm. I bring like my really big stuff to, or if there's something I'm unsure of, I bring it to him and have him do like a full dossier on it just to make sure that if you are spending the money for something significant that, uh, you know, a team of experts has verified that that is exactly what you're getting. And yeah, it's, it's a long process. So there's so many times when I get something, I'm like so excited to post it, but then I have to wait (laughs) to like, you know, really do the research, um, look up all the hallmarks, if there are any, figure out, you know, who the maker was, if I can, where it came from, just basically flesh out the history and the backstory of the piece. Mm. And not to like give away all your secrets, but do you have like a favorite country or location that you found for sourcing your antique pieces? Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Really? I mean, I guess that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, Florida is is where a lot of my favorite things have come from. Um, Yeah. And, And I also love the beach. So it's you know, I'm always like, oh, I have to take a buying trip to Florida. (laughs) (laughs) I have to go to the beach, I guess. (laughs) Nice. Do you have a favorite piece of jewelry that you've curated so far? Oh, that's tough. Um, There's one in my store right now that, oh, it's so beautiful. Okay. So it's like a light blue star sapphire and it's surrounded by like these chunky old mine cut diamonds. It's so beautiful. It's like huge. Like you look like you're a freaking princess when you wear it. (laughs) It's it's so amazing. And yeah, that's one of the pieces that I'm like, you can't keep this. You can't keep this. You can't keep (laughs) Like, no, it's not for me. Not for me. (laughs) I saw that one. I thought that was really pretty too. And that, and there's a rose gold one that has smaller sapphires set in it. That was really pretty. Sapphire, dangerous. Yeah. (laughs) I'm a huge, huge sapphire fan. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, I'm all about them. Is that because of like, are you a September baby? I'm not. My sister is. And I was always really envious. Like I was like, oh, you get all the sapphire jewelry. I'm January, so I get garnet. And actually garnets are a really fascinating stone and they come in a huge array of colors Mm. and different types. And some of them are super, super valuable and really expensive. But you know, when you're like a kid, you're just getting like, you know, little ball garnets. And (laughs) I was like, oh, I want the sapphires. But no, I just, I really, there's something about sapphires. And also sapphires come in every color imaginable. So I think that really draws me to them too. And they're really durable. So they make 
really good alternative engagement ringstones. Oh, yeah. I'm a September baby, so I, I've always loved sapphire. I didn't know they came in different colors, though, so that's good to oh, know. yeah, like any color you can imagine. Interesting. So I guess, okay, this is maybe getting more technical than we'll share, but we'll see. So I guess I always assume that for gemstones, that the thing that set them apart from each other is the color, but that doesn't sound like how it works. So what does actually set like a sapphire apart from, let's say, a garnet? Is that the makeup itself, uh, like the what it's comprised yeah. of? Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the structure, like the atomic structure of ah. it. So it's a ton of science. And, yeah. You know, gemology, gemology is a science. And it's the it's the structure, how it was formed. Um, but yeah, it's the atomic structure that sets them apart. But then it's interesting, like sapphire and ruby are both corundum. They're the same stone. The difference between sapphires and rubies are the color. So I just sent this 1940s tank ring into my appraiser, my gemologist, and I was just thinking of them as rubies, mm. but they're very pink. So if a ruby is really pink, it's no longer a ruby. It's now a pink sapphire. What? Oh. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? That and then in different countries, the classifications between ruby and pink sapphire are slightly different. So in many Asian countries, you might buy a stone that you buy as a ruby, but if you were to get it appraised or you know certified in America, it might come back as a pink sapphire just because the the grading qualifications or classifications are, are different huh. um, depending on where you are. But structurally, they're the same. That is really fascinating. I had I had no yeah. idea. And um, like morganite and aquamarine are both barrels. So, you know, they're, they're both in that same family. Hmm. Um, Emerald is as well. And it's just the different trace elements that, that make that structure appear differently. All right, listeners. So next time you go in to buy a fine piece of jewelry, hopefully you're going to Songbird Sarah's website. But <laughs> if you're not, you can sound very well versed now in yes. in jewelry. Yeah, <laughs> no. Um, so now, so one of the things I, I really wanted to ask you about was something that kind of sets you apart for their curators is that you specialize in divorce rings. Can you tell me a little bit about that and kind of what those are and how that came about? Yeah. So I will say. You know, the divorce ring niche is just one small part of what I do. Mm. So, you know, a lot of what I do is engagements and weddings and just people like buying jewelry for themselves because they love it and they deserve it. But I got divorced from my first marriage about five years ago mm. and I really missed wearing a ring. So <laughs> I like started shopping my engagement ring from my ex was modern, a modern non-brilliant. And I was like, you know what? Like I'm in a different phase of my life. That was never really what I wanted. Mm. I, I want something antique. I'm in charge of my finances for the first time in my entire adult life. And I don't have to like ask anyone you know, if I can spend my own money. Right, right. So I found this amazing Edwardian dinner ring with old European cut diamonds. It's like long on the finger, like a cocktail ring. It doesn't look, it doesn't look super engagement-y. And I bought it. It was expensive. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to do it. So I did. And then when people would ask me about it, 
the first thing that would just pop into my mind was, oh, it's my divorce ring. And I, I wear it on my right hand and it's just, it's beautiful and I love it. And it just symbolized so much for me about, you know, getting out of an emotionally abusive situation, starting my new life as an individual and just, you know, celebrating myself because I can. And then I posted a picture of it on my Instagram for my business a couple years later and women just started coming to me wanting to buy their own divorce rings. So mm. it's been a really gratifying experience because I have been where they are and I think I can help them celebrate and commemorate in a way that most jewelers wouldn't know how to. Mm. I think there's definitely something to be said about it really helps you to sort of identify as, okay, I'm independent now. Like I am doing my own things. I can take care of myself and I don't need this relationship to take care of me. I don't need this relationship to be able to wear a fine piece of jewelry. Yeah. So kind of pulling back, do you feel like you have any specific habits that have helped your business be a success? I think talking to people is really, really important. I think I have just a natural curiosity about other people, what drives them, what they find beautiful. Um, I love hearing stories from my clients. So, you know, people will write to me about a certain ring and say that it reminds them of their grandmother's ring. And, you know, they, they want to commemorate her and her style in that way. Or, you know, when I was little, I always loved unicorns and like, here it is, this unicorn ring. There's a unicorn ring on my site right now. And it's, awesome. I saw that. It's so That's cool. awesome. And yeah, I've been getting so many messages from people being like, oh my gosh, like I read this book when I was young and I like went through a period where I was like obsessed with unicorn or just, you know, just stories. Like I think that human connection is really, really important. And so many people crave that, especially now when, you know, when, when we can't like go out and hug each other. And I think that, that that just like natural human curiosity and desire for connection has made my business stand out just in a natural way. What do you feel like you would have missed out on if you hadn't started Songbird Sarah Antique Jewelry? Well, I definitely wouldn't get to play with gorgeous pieces of jewelry every day. <laughs> um, my husband like laughs at me because I will just like get my inventory out and like rearrange it, <laughs> <laughs> like look at it, try it on. Like, he's just like, oh, are you just like playing in your treasure box again? I'm like, yes. And I just, I get so much joy out of it. You know, I, I get to photograph it and put them in different combinations. And like, it, it's it's so much fun for me. And do you, do you have any advice for listeners out there who are interested in starting their own company? Yes. So I just read the book Profit First and it kind of blew my mind. So I recommend that to everyone who is starting a business. My big takeaway was that so often we think about just the revenue, like what is the company bringing in? And so many quote unquote successful businesses never truly become profitable. And we have this idea that we can't take profit until we've gotten the business to a certain point. And the premise of the book is that you should take your profit out first and not spend more than the business can sustain so it kind of blows up that whole spend money to make money thing. Of course, you do have to 
spend money to make money, but um, you can't spend more money than your company can handle you know, without becoming profitable and paying yourself. And it really exemplified everything that I did wrong in my first business. So it was really helpful just in, you know, and I'm really, really oversimplifying. <laughs> so I'm sure that there are some people who are accountants who are like, okay, it's a lot more complicated <laughs> than that. But, but it was really fascinating. And I kind of viewed it too as like a self-care kind mm. of bookkeeping. Like take care of yourself first. Don't put the health of your business before the health of your own finances. And, you know, to come full circle with that, when you put your financial health first, your business will then be healthy. Yeah, I feel like you're maybe less stressed out then too, because oh, you're yeah. like you're paying your bills and you have a place to live then, and then taking care of the business. Yeah, and it it grows. You know, it the more you make healthy financial decisions, the more you're in a situation to like take calculated risks with your business. Mm. You don't feel like you're gambling. You know, so profit first. Okay, I will look that up, listeners, and throw the yeah. link in the show notes there. And so, Sarah, where can we find your jewelry online, or where can we find you on social media? Well, I am always on Instagram. I am at Songbird Sarah Jewelry, and Sarah does not have an H. So at Songbird Sarah Jewelry. And um, on my Instagram, everything is linked to my website. So like if you see a picture of something, you just click the little shopping bag in the bottom left-hand corner, and it'll take you right to that listing. So that's pretty cool. And then for those of you not on Instagram, on Facebook, I am Songbird Sarah Antique Jewelry. And my website is songbirdsarahantiquejewelry.com. Perfect. And do you have any, uh, you know, right now we are recording in October, but, um, you know, the holidays are coming up soon. So ladies, if you are thinking about buying yourself a piece of jewelry or if you need to like leave, you know, a very obvious note for your special person in your life to buy you a piece of jewelry, um, do, you have any, do you have any promotions maybe coming up for the holidays? I do. I am offering free shipping for listeners of this podcast. So um, the link will be in the show notes, but you can also go enter go find out as the coupon code and that will be free shipping internationally. So even if you don't live in America, I will ship to you for free. And to your point about hints, I have a very cool little um, feature on my website where you can drop a hint and it sends this really like pretty little email to whoever you want to drop a hint to. And I always recommend that people send their hint not only to your partner, but like maybe to a friend or a family member who your partner might talk to. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. That's fantastic. Yes, we will definitely, I'm going to have to look up the link for that as well. And I will drop that in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Sarah. Thank you. So Sarah was a really fun person to interview. She definitely has that like great bubbly personality that makes her kind of welcome anywhere. And that's actually something that I wanted to touch on today. I definitely think that displaying that sort of fun, outgoing personality can definitely open a lot of doors and it really makes potential customers or clients feel more appreciated and welcome. It's definitely how I've approached most of my more traditional jobs and is sort of the persona that I've put forward for both the Go Find Out podcast and the Ever Growth Coach brand, mostly because it's just my personality. I just tend to be more sort of bubbly and outgoing when I am doing something for things that I consider work. But here's the thing. I've also been told by clients that I was too much. And in traditional jobs, I sometimes wasn't taken seriously because they thought that bubbly meant not smart or not management material. 
To that, I want to say, continue to be you, right? As my last guest, Yolanda Russell said, you might not be for everybody, right? Like your personal brand, your personality might just not be for everybody, right? And that's okay because you're not meant to work with everybody. And if you're getting the feeling that your traditional employer doesn't value your contributions because of that bubbly personality or that your clients or customers aren't completely on board because of your positive attitude, then they might not be the employer or the customers for you. Find the people who do value your positive vibe. That's where you'll be more likely to thrive. And honestly, if the worst thing that your employer puts on your yearly employee evaluation is that you're too positive, right, and they see that as a negative personality trait, then it's definitely time to start looking for somewhere else to work because they are not the fit for you. Something else that I really wanted to touch on from Sarah's interview was when she said that failing at a business wasn't the worst thing because it was a learning experience. I absolutely agree. This is something that we've actually touched on before in this show. Fear of failure is a really big reason that many women don't start a business or apply for that job or pursue their passion. That fear of not succeeding is so huge that it's just easier not to start at all. But I want to remind all of you ladies that every person I've had on this podcast so far who has spoken about failure has also said that failure helped them pivot or succeed in their next endeavor. Athletes like Danielle Triffett, who I had on, said that failing helped them prepare for the next go-round. When she, quote-unquote, failed at doing her first ultra, she learned from any mistakes that she made during that experience, and then she went on to crush the next ultra that she signed up for. Business owners that I've had on the show have said that failure helped them to clarify what it was that they really wanted and that it allowed them to learn from their mistakes and be more successful in their next business move. So I completely agree with Sarah that failing is simply learning. It's just a learning experience. And I am absolutely willing to learn in order to succeed at my goals. How about you? Are you willing to take that step towards whatever your goal is and face potential failure, which could just be a learning experience to the next big thing for you? All right, that's it for the show this week. I hope that you enjoyed the interview with Sarah. Join me next week when I interview Emily Neighbor about co-founding a software program called Chatterfox. Until then, go find out. Thanks for listening to the show today. I hope you found the information beneficial and that it helps you tackle your own Go Find Out goals. You can find more episodes and the show transcripts at gofindoutpodcast.com. You can also let me know what you thought of the show by tweeting me at gfopodcast or follow me on Instagram at gofindoutpodcast. That's it for today. Now go find out.